Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Thursday, May 17th from 6 to 8 p.m., you should join me, the Detroit Today team, and other WDET listeners at the Detroit City Distillery for smart conversations about politics and policy, news and issues that really matter to you. We're going to talk about regional transit, education, and this year's race for governor. We're also going to hear from you about the subjects that you'd like us to focus on later this month when we go up to Mackinac Island for the Detroit Regional Chamber's Policy Conference. You are going to lead the conversation on the topics that matter most to you. Again, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Detroit City Distillery. These are always a pretty good time. You come out, have a couple beverages with me, have a conversation about the things that we talk about here on the show or other things that are on your mind. For more information, just go to wdet.org slash events. Up first today, the contrast between yesterday's events in Jerusalem and on the Gaza Strip border with the Palestinian territories was really stark. In Jerusalem, there was celebration and smiles as American and Israeli officials marked the official relocation of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The celebration came on the 70th anniversary of the formation of Israel. At the same time, however, thousands of Palestinians erupted in protest on the Gaza border, and dozens were killed and hundreds more were wounded after Israeli soldiers fired shots onto the crowds. The New York Times reported that Monday was the bloodiest single day since a series of protests began to oppose Israel's economic blockade of Gaza. Are we now in an era in Israeli-Palestinian relations that looks really different from where we were before? Has America permanently given up its role as a credible mediator in peace talks? And have the dynamics fundamentally changed both in Israel and across the Middle East? If you're like me, you watched somewhat in horror yesterday as uh, this violence unfolded in, uh, in Gaza, just as these very uh, celebratory poses and speeches were being given in Jerusalem, uh, I don't. I don't remember in recent memory, at least, uh, another day quite like this uh, on the television. In in terms of uh, both the violence that we witnessed and the contrast again between what was going on in Gaza and what was going on in Jerusalem, we want to start the show today talking about that violence and talking about the U.S. role in Mideast peace going forward. Uh, and of course, we want to hear from you. What was your reaction to seeing what we saw yesterday? These dozens of protesters killed by Israeli soldiers on the Gaza border. What do you think of the decision to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? Uh, this was something that uh, President Trump campaigned on, and it was something that he did uh, recently uh, following through on that campaign promise. He says uh, this is a recognition of Jerusalem as the proper capital of Israel. Obviously, lots of people disagree with that decision. Uh, was he wrong? Is he out of his lane 
by doing this? And has he courted a new era of violence uh, in that area that we have not seen in many years? Again, uh, always on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. And joining us to talk about what happened yesterday and what might be happening into the future is Howard Lupovich. He's an associate professor of history and the director of the Cone Haddow Center for Judaic Studies at Wayne State University. Howard, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. And with us is uh, Ali Harb, an Arab-American journalist who is based right here in Dearborn, Michigan. Ali, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to start uh, with both of you talking about how significant yesterday was in the grand scheme of Israeli-Palestine and Middle East uh, relationships. Sometimes I think uh, we we tend to either downplay or overreact to uh, single incidents in this region and, and not understand the fuller context at the same time. I don't think anybody could have watched what went on yesterday and not been moved uh, in one way or another by what was happening. Uh, Ali, I'll start with you. Uh, what, what, what are we witnessing here? Uh, well, what we witnessed yesterday is a stark juxtaposition between uh, folks celebrating in Jerusalem and less than 40 miles away, uh, people being murdered in mass, uh, unarmed protesters being sniped down, uh, children uh, being having to deal with tear gas and live ammunition, while uh, America's representatives in Jerusalem, uh, the emperor's son-in-law and his daughter, were exchanging uh, pleasantries and and smiling with Israeli officials. And and uh, you know to put things in perspective, while all the violence was unfolding in Gaza, uh, Jared Kushner said that when peace is achieved years from now, I quote, uh, people will look back at the journey to peace, will say that the journey to peace started with a strong America recognizing the truth, talking about the embassy move. And I don't know how we can look at all this violence and speak of peace starting from it. How important is this in the in the broader context of uh, Israeli-Palestine and Mideast peace, the, the, the process that, you know, has taken so long to even get to the point where it is, uh, is this a rollback of that process? Well, I, I think the United States has not been an honest broker and, and bipartisan uh, consensus in Congress has been in full support of Israel and previous administrations have supported Israel uh, without giving any the Palestinians a chance of statehood or without recognizing Palestine as a state. So in terms of practical policy, this doesn't change much. East Jerusalem has been under Israeli occupation since 1967. It has been annexed since 1980. Mm -hmm. So Trump moving the embassy doesn't change the reality of the occupation. The occupation has been there. Uh, What it does is it insults the masses of Palestinians, Arabs, and Muslims because of what Jerusalem symbolizes uh, Islamically, to Arab nationalism, to Palestinian nationalism. And it ends uh, any American talks of American statehood because it nixes Palestinians' uh, aspiration for self-determination because without Jerusalem, there cannot be a Palestinian state. 
Uh, and I would like to quote uh, James Zogby, the head of the Arab American Institute. He mm-hmm. told me a couple of months ago, but when the move was still in the works, he said, Jerusalem is the wound that never heals. And this would simply put salt in the wound. Yeah. And this is what's happening right here. Yeah. Uh, Howard Lupovich, uh, get your take on the greater significance of what we're seeing uh, unfold in in Gaza yesterday, and uh, I, I guess it's still going on today. Uh, is this a, is this a rollback of the peace process, uh, or is this a singular sort of incidental flare up? Well, I would, uh, I mean, I, I I agree with most of what Ali said, or some of it, but the one thing I would do disagree with. Or take issue with is that you said, I think you're correct in saying that the current administration, the Trump administration, has been blatantly partisan in, in, in handling the conflict, blatantly supportive of Israel, and adversely dismissive of the Palestinians. I'm not sure that's true of every administration. I think President Obama, for example, was trying diligently to be more balanced in his treatment. In fact, it's one of the reasons why President Obama has been just villainized in Israel by Israelis. One of the reasons that Israelis love Trump so much, despite his obvious deficiencies, is that his predecessor was more balanced in the conflict, and he took a lot of heat for that. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as, uh, I, I, as, far as the, the larger significance, I, I would suggest that, uh, I mean, I agree with Ali that moving the embassy is in someone doesn't really constitute that much of a change in terms of policy, but I think for maybe slightly different reasons. I'm, 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 I'm less bleak about the prospects here, uh, mainly because if you think about the, the nature of the move, the, the embassy was not moved to a contested neighborhood. And so I think President Trump and his administration, wittingly or not, he, despite this move of the embassy to Jerusalem, he still left open the possibility that at a future date he could make a similar overture to the Palestinian people by, by setting up another U.S. embassy in East Jerusalem to a future Palestinian state. And given the fact that I mean, moving the embassy is the small campaign promise. His big campaign promise is he boasted that he was going to be the great deal maker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who figured out how to negotiate the peace. And, and, there's, and obviously there's no way he's going to do that. There's no way the Palestinians are going to talk, talk unless they have some promise of being able to have East Jerusalem as their capital. And mm-hmm. that is, uh, that, that's just simply too deep. So, so President Trump, I think sometime in the next maybe six months or a year, probably after the midterm elections, is going to have to disappoint his, uh, his supporters, his, his Jewish, especially his Jewish and Christian evangelical supporters of Israel. And he's going to have to dis- disappoint Israelis as well. Now, as far as the situation in Gaza, I, 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 think, that, I think in some ways this is more of the same. But I, and, and Ali, you can, comment, you can tell me if I'm on the right track here. Uh, I, I think in some ways it, it, it marks a bit of a shift in tactics on the part of the Palestinians in Gaza and Hamas. Because it seems like up to this point... Um, Hamas has attempted military confrontation and, let's say, infiltration into Israel as a strategy, and it really hasn't worked very well. So now they seem to be shifting, I would say, more in a, maybe more in a Gandhi direction, where they're attempting, or at least attempting, what can we call a kind of, a kind of peaceful, nonviolent protest mm-hmm. as, a, as a way of accomplishing their aims, which, which I think is commendable, except that, I mean, uh, I'll quote Miracle Max here from The Princess Bride. The protest is largely nonviolent, but it's only mostly nonviolent. They're ha- they're, they're not, 
that there have been violent incidences as well. But more importantly, I think that that's neither here nor there. More importantly, I think Hamas, the Palestinians in Gaza, this protest is putting tremendous pressure on Israel especially between two very powerful impulses. Because remember, uh, a core aim of, of the Israeli army and the Israeli state is security, bitachon. Security is the Hebrew word that, that, that Prime Minister Netanyahu repeats over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so that border, the integrity of that border has to be preserved. But at the same time, another core value of the military is havlagah, which is Hebrew for restraint, especially restraint against unarmed civilians. And so... The, the, the tension between those two military aims is really being put to the test here in Gaza. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, and I wonder how much longer the military, but especially the Israeli conscience, is going to be able to stand this. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the idea... Um, so a lot of the things that were said by the administration yesterday, I think, uh, add fuel to the fire here in terms of this idea of a nonviolent response to the the moving of the embassy to Jerusalem. You heard a lot of folks saying, well, um, this is a deliberate provocation of Israeli soldiers. This is uh, a, a manipulative move on the part of, of uh, Palestinian leaders to try to sort of sacrifice, I guess, people uh, to this cause. I think that's a pretty cynical way to, to, to look at it, though, Ali. I mean, but, uh, but, but actually, if I, if, I'm, if I may, I think that's nonsense. I, mean, I think when we look at what the American and what the Trump administration and his officials are doing, most of what they're doing is grandstanding. Uh, they, they are they are pandering and grandstanding, and I yes. wouldn't take too much of what they said at face value because hmm. this for I mean tr- we know that Trump is more of a showman than a politician or a diplomat, and this whole embassy thing is more about showmanship than diplomacy. Than diplomacy, Ali, how do you respond to the things that we heard from the administration yesterday? Well, I, you know the administration came out saying uh, that it's Hamas's fault that somehow 60 Palestinians were killed by Israeli live ammunition sniped down, that since March the 30th, more than 100 Palestinians have been killed, children have been killed. The Committee to Protect Journalists has has documented 22 journalists shot with live ammunition, including two killed, and somehow it's Hamas's fault. And this, this goes back to Howard's point, the Hamas shifting tactics from uh, military confrontation to sending people to protest at the border. And, and this assertion, uh, what it does, it strips these thousands of Palestinians who are protesting of autonomy, that they're stooges of Hamas. They are not. They are human beings mm-hmm. living in an open-air prison, the biggest open-air prison in the world, 1.9 million Palestinians, of whom 1.3 million are refugees, uh, live in an open-air prison. The unemployment rate is at 70%. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prospects of a good life, are none. Uh, the United Nations has repeatedly said that Gaza will become unlivable. Unlivable, focus on that term. People will not be able to live in Gaza in a few years. And you're telling me that when people protest, they're being pushed by Hamas. No, it's a, it's a natural human condition to sure. refuse uh, this injustice that's being inflicted upon you to say, I don't want to live in an open air prison anymore. To say that when we when we look at the protests, when the protests started, they were not about the embassy. They started on March 30th under the banner, the Great March of Return. It's because 1.3 million Palestinians in Gaza 
are not from Gaza. They're right. refugees from what is today Israel, and they want to return to their homes. According to international law, they have a right to do so. Uh, you under, you under General Assembly Resolution 149 grants the people who have been displaced, displaced by the conflict the right to return, and those who don't wish to return should be compensated. That's international law. Mm-hmm. So to say that Hamas is like the grand engineer of everything that Palestinians do— uh, sort of strips Palestinians of, of their individualism. Of agency. Uh, and and it sort of denies the greater context in which you've got this conflict uh, between uh, Israel and the people that Israel essentially displaced uh, when, it, when it was created. Uh, and I know that's sort of a controversial way to put that, but I don't think there's any other way to describe what happened to these people. They were, they were it, removed. This topic has been a taboo to talk about Nakba, to talk about displacement of Palestinians. But it's at the core of the issue. You cannot look at the Palestinian conflict and not see 1.3 million refugees in Gaza. You cannot look at Gaza and not see 1.3 million refugees. That's the overwhelming majority of the population in Gaza. People have been displaced. Uh, And it's not a humanitarian crisis only. It's a political crisis as well. And, And the answers must be humanitarian as well as political. Yeah. Go ahead, Howard. I heard you trying to jump. Uh, well, I want well. First, first, the the, the um, this is not a taboo subject entirely. There's a lot of historical debate among historians of Israel and the Palestinians about the causes of the flight, and some of it is due to displacement. But there's also some some Palestinians left because their own leaders encouraged them to. I don't think we need to get into that here. But the question I would ask you about this about the protesters and the, the well from the vantage point, the the, 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 the the dilemma of Israel from that vantage point in the army. Mm-hmm. It, and and, and um, please feel free to use as much candor as you want. Uh, of course. So in the previous Gaza conflict, uh, there were Hamas militants. One of the one of their tactics previously was to embed themselves within the civilian population you know, launching missiles from schools and from whatever, from, from hospitals to make, it, to make it more difficult. They would embed themselves. This is not to suggest that, that everyone is a militant, but the militants would embed themselves. One of the concerns of the Israeli military right now is embedded within these, these peaceful civilian Palestinian protesters might be militants. And even, even though they, they are a minority of the militants, of the protesters, I mean, that the, the possibility of allowing anyone to pierce that border introduces the possibility of a, a militant entering Israeli territory, which, well, which which leads to death, and something the military simply can't count. And so, mm-hmm. well, while it, well, it doesn't that doesn't excuse or doesn't exonerate the tragedy of innocent people being killed. I mean, there is a flip side here. There is a, there is, I think, a bona fide security concern in this instance, not the concern about peaceful protesters, but the concern about militants embedded within the protesters, which yeah. they've done before. Yeah, there, I mean, and I don't think there's any question that there are militants among those who are protesting. The question is, what are they militant about and what inspires that militancy and whether it is it is this occupation of well, well of course of, it is. Of the, territory. Mean, the, reason, the reason for the militancy is a political question. Yeah. But from a military point of view, their job, the job of any military is to protect the citizens and residents of their country. So whatever the political reason, whatever the political motivation, I mean, you're saying that no matter how no... genuine it is, they cannot let militants into the country. And that board, that's why that border, that southern border, its integrity must be preserved. And, I mean, even at this terrible cost. And whatever, whatever rhetoric is coming out of Jerusalem, 
I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, within the military, this is not an easy thing for the Israeli military yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, May I answer go his ahead, point, Go ahead, Ali. Um, we need to, go ahead, Ali. We need to get Howard, to a break. you're talking but... about a theory here that there are 140,000, 50,000 protesters that may have militants. Uh, but well, your theory... a concern than a theory. A, a concern. But, but your concern, your hypothetical concern, is met with hard numbers and cold bodies. We're talking about 60 dead. We're talking about mass murder here. People being sniped randomly, or as the Israeli said, army says, we know where every bullet landed, which would be much worse because they're landing bullets on children mm -hmm. and journalists. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, just because there may be, because there may be militants. They, yeah. I'm sorry. I, that, that's why I don't understand why the Israel, why the army in the past they've used rubber bullets or tear gas or ways yeah. non-lethal right. forms. I mean, this was it. this was a very different kind of response. I need to get to, to a break here, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the violence between Israel and Palestine in the wake of the opening of the new U.S. embassy. We'll get to the calls next. Lots of folks. I want to talk about this, Michael and Royal Oak, Delphine and South Lyon, Allen, Detroit, Vernon, and Auburn Hills. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. Also, remember, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. If you go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today, you can take us with you and listen whenever you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Howard Lupovich, an associate professor of history and director of the Cohn Haddow Center for Judaic Studies at Wayne State University. Also here is Ali Harb, an Arab-American journalist based here in Dearborn. We are talking about the violence that we witnessed yesterday along the border between Israel and the Gaza Strip. Uh, lots of people killed, hundreds more wounded uh, in response to protests that were inspired by the United States opening of its new embassy in Jerusalem, which is a contested space uh, between Israeli and Palestinian interests. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What did you make of what we saw, what we witnessed yesterday? Dozens of protesters killed by Israeli soldiers on the Gaza border. Uh, what does that kind of violence tell you about this conflict and where it's headed? And what do you think about the U.S. role here? Uh, did the U.S. inspire what happened yesterday with its move of the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Michael in Royal Oak. Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. Gentlemen, hey. the arrogance of empire is partly what I, I'm hearing with the words you're using, like displacement. I um, do think that the United States has inspired the sad event, and that it's for lack of a better term, a prison colony. 
I'm subbing right now. I'm on a break for an advanced placement social studies class in the area. And many of the students are from the Middle East, probably even Palestinian. Mm -hmm. And they're good kids, well-educated. But you also, your guests, um, use the words pandering and grandstanding. Let me extend that from how I see it. They're oligarchs who... Let me just get to the quick. I think it's going to come home to the United States where there's a smugness. And well, Thomas Jefferson said regular up our uprisings mm-hmm. are required to strengthen a democracy. Mm-hmm. Right now we're seeing something overseas, but things are being so poorly done by our president that I think the consequence, I mean, think Julius Caesar, Rome will fall sooner than we expect. Hmm. Michael, uh, thanks very much for the call and the comments. That's a pretty foreboding picture you paint there of, of, of what's happening, but but I don't know that I can substantively push back on what you're saying there in terms of uh, the, the the signals that uh, that I think are are being given both by this administration and uh, by its friends, I guess, uh, around the, the, the planet. Michael, thank you very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Vernon in Auburn Hills. Vernon, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Stephen, thank you for taking my call. Just sure. a minute ago, you announced, you announced that there were hundreds of uh, Palestinians that were wounded. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know where you got your information, because uh, BBC News said there was over 3,000, so from hundreds to thousands. And uh, could you imagine if the North Koreans were mowing down protesters by the thousands with mm-hmm. guns, mm-hmm. what our response would be? Or look what happened at Tiananmen Square and but we just sweep this under the rug, and the whole world is sweeping this under the rug. And and you're part of the deal, Stephen, by sweeping it under the rug by saying hundreds when BBC said there was over three thousand. I don't get. It. Yeah, I can skew the numbers. And why do we allow North? Could you, if I was a North Korean, I'd say, hey, don't talk to me about about human rights when you're doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, uh, Vernon, I appreciate the call uh, and the questions, uh, and you're right. Uh, I was uh, basing that on reports from last night, uh, and now I see that, of course, this morning, even the New York Times is saying that thousands were injured uh, at the Gaza border. So I appreciate uh, the correction; that wasn't intentional on my part. Um, but, but I think your larger point about comparing this to other places on the globe, other spots where we see this kind of behavior is really is really interesting and and it's worth exploring why the the response, the international response, uh, the response of this country is different in this case. Uh, Ali Harb, uh, I'll, I'll give you first crack at that. To, to add to Vernon's point, when uh, Arab Springs protests were unfolding across the Middle East in 2011, we saw in Egypt, we saw in Libya, we saw in Syria, where security forces were using live ammunition on protesters, the Obama administration came out and called for the fall of these governments. Look how drastic a reaction, calling for the fall of an entire governing system because of shooting down of unarmed protesters. Today, we're seeing the same thing happening, unarmed protesters being sniped down. I may say in larger numbers than some of the protests in Syria and Egypt, uh, yet what's coming out out of the U.S. administration, out of Washington, is 
uh, it's Hamas's fault, mm -hmm. which is a laughable claim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Howard uh, Lubavitch, why don't we see a response similar to, for instance, what happened in Tiananmen Square? Uh, well, well. first I would say, uh, Vernon, if I may, um, this is not being swept under the rug. Other than the Trump administration, there has been a lot of condemnation of Israel from European countries, uh, from the United Nations. So not, no one is sweeping this under the rug. Under the rug. In fact, it's on the front page of the New York Times and every newspaper. It's not being swept. Uh, but I think you make a very valid point, and I think, uh, I think it's possible that these events may actually lead to, I wouldn't say the collapse of the state of Israel, but maybe... Uh, the downfall of Netanyahu's government, if it proceeds long enough. Um, as far as the Trump administration, I mean, I, I, this, this, this is the, you know, I would describe it more pathetic than anything else. I mean, they, uh, President Trump has a particular, I don't, I, don't, I don't think his interests have anything to do with anything happening in the Middle East. He is trying to win supporters. He, he is thinking about his, his, his pro-Israel voters here, mm -hmm. and uh, he's simply trying to extend to them. In the same way that the, the day he initially announced his intention to move the embassy was right before the special election in Alabama, and he timed it such that he could win votes for Judge Roy Moore, evangelical votes for Judge Roy Moore. It is a calculated and tactical decision. Uh, and it makes, the, it makes the Trump administration stand on this rather hollow and shallow mm -hmm. and superficial. And Ali, I like the way you contrasted the way the current administration, the poor way they've handled this, as opposed to the Obama administration, which I think did a much better job. Uh, and it's not a question of Democrat and Republican, because there have been Republican presidents who've handled situations like this much better. Uh, it's, the, it's really the current administration. So, and, and yes, the current administration is trying to sweep us under the rug. The fact that they came out and blamed they, they blamed Hamas for these protests, and they blamed the Palestinians. It's it's just textbook blame the victim, yeah. uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But I think it has more to do with the Trump administration than any large notion of empire or any larger sweeping of anything under the rug. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Vernon, thanks very much for the call. And the comments, let's go to Karen in Ann Arbor. Karen, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure. Um, so I have two points. One, uh, my parents are Israeli, and I've spent a lot of time in Israel, mm -hmm. um, including in the 90s when, you know, we were on lockdown in our family's homes because there were terrorists going out into the communities and, and bombing buses. And I think that one point that's being neglected today is the fact that I don't think the Palestinians really want to share that piece of land. I think that there has always been a tone of getting rid of Israel, making sure that the state of Israel does no longer exist, getting rid of the Jews. We see um, it during the, we see in the protests, kill the Jews. We see the Nazi symbols on kites. Um, there is that tone of they don't want to share. And I happen to be a preschool teacher, and we have a tabletop sandbox in the classroom. And every once in a while, you'll get a kid who's a bully, will come to the sandbox, will grab all the toys, will throw sand on the floor. Eventually, the other kids will leave, and it dawned on me, why is the bully being awarded that space? And, you know, there should be consequences for people who are aggressive. There should be consequences for people, and I'm not downplaying that they're oppressed, um, but they need to learn how to behave in a society where you do have to share area, especially two differing views between mm -hmm. the Jews and the Muslims. And I think that that is, is a very important point. Yeah. They don't want to share. Karen. There's, Karen, yeah. thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments and that perspective. That's really 
that's very important. Um, Ali Harb, I'll I'll let you take first crack at answering what she's saying. This idea uh, that uh, that Palestinians and other uh, other Arab interests and states don't want Israel in the Middle East. We have heard before rhetoric about pushing Israel out into the sea. Um, how do you answer that? Um, Karen, a characteristic of the bully is that he thinks he's a victim. And, and this is a classic bully here. Who's occupying whom here? Who's oppressing whom? Are Israelis under, is, under Palestinian military control in the West Bank, or is it the other way around? Are Israelis chewing Palestinian land in the West Bank and preventing the rise of the Palestinian state, or is it the other way around? Are Israelis pushing uh, for an apartheid-like system with separate schools, separate roads, uh, preventing human Palestinians from going ab about their daily business without, uh, without having to go through checkpoints or is it the other way around? It's clear who the bully is here. Um, so that's the first point. As for the second point, that Palestinians are anti-Semitic and they want to throw Jews in the sea, this rhetoric is getting old because even Hamas, in its last charter, which it released last year, it has said that it would accept uh, a state, according to the 1967 border, as a nationalist uh, platform, which is an implied recognition of Israel to exist. Um, a, B, Hamas has even refused anti-Semitism in the last charter and said that, it, you know, anti-Semitism is a European concept and it's foreign to Arab and Muslim uh, philosophies. So, you know, I, I don't get the stock. It's fear-mongering at the end of the day. You know, the Palestinians are coming to kill you and throw you in the sea, so shoot them. And it's, it's a way to justify the unjustifiable. It's to say that your oppressor, that the oppressed is coming to kill you. And we see it here in the United States. We see it with white supremacists thinking that minorities are coming to overthrow them. That's why oppressing them is justified. Hmm. Uh, Howard, uh, what do yeah, you, what do you a, say a lot to, to that? Yeah, a lot to comment on there. First of all, thank you, Karen, for your comment and your question. I think the difference between what Karen said and Ali said, in some sense, it's a bit apples and oranges. Because I don't, if, I'm, if, I, if I understood you correctly... Uh, I think Karen is talking about Palestinians who are not simply advocating on behalf of, uh, toward creating a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza, but who want the entire land of Israel as a Palestinian state and and, and reject the, the existence of the state of Israel entirely. Whereas Ali, I think you were talking more about creating a Palestinian state out of specific territory. So that's part of the disjunction. The other thing, Karen, I mean, and I, your point is well taken. And you come from this personal experience, and I appreciate that. Um, as I, when you say the Palestinians, I think it's hard to lump them all into one point of view. Mm -hmm. In the same way, it's impossible you can't lump all Israelis into one view. There are certainly there are some Palestinians who believe that the state of Israel shouldn't exist. Uh, and yes, Hamas, like you said, Ali Hamas has modified its charter. But where you say implying. The, the, existing, the acceptance of the existence of the state of Israel. Another person, someone else might say, it's only implying. They still haven't come out and explicitly recognized it, which would be nice and would probably move this along a little bit. So the, really the question, we're talking about two different points of view and two different Palestinian attitudes, because clearly there are some who don't. As far as the fear-mongering, I, I agree that this, I think Prime Minister Netanyahu in particular is a fear-monger, and he uses sort of Holocaust annihilation rhetoric to instill fear, not only with respect to Palestinians, but also with respect to Iran. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that is one of his tactics. 
but at the same token, by the same token, at the same time, uh, the the fear, like like Karen said, like her like her family remembers, some of this fear is genuine, because uh, and not to diminish the what, what's happened to the Palestinians, there have also been Israelis who have been victims of Palestinian violence, and there's really no denying that as well. So it's it's a it's more complicated than saying this all or nothing kind of approach. There are there there is a tapestry of point of points of view. And they all have to be taken into account. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ali, I'll give you the last word uh, on this subject well, here. Howard, you said that some Palestinians certainly do not want Israel to be a state, an independent state. Let me ask you, how many Israelis share the same views about Palestinians? Uh, and the answer is, it's the government policy of Israel to prevent the rise of a Palestinian state. Would that justify uh, Palestinians shooting down Israelis who are unarmed? Definitely not. So we're talking about the equivalency here of a government policy in Israel of occupation, of making sure there is no Palestinian state, and that's okay, versus some Palestinians who may not want Israel to be an independent state. So so that's the first point. Uh, the second point, uh, well, yeah, is Palestinians have employed violence in the past, uh, but if we look at the numbers yesterday and the casualties, 60 dead, more than 3,000 wounded, zero casualties on the Israeli side. So we cannot speak of self-defense or Palestinian violence when the numbers are 3,000 to zero. That's that's not violence. That's not clashes. Yeah, and there's there's also this, this sort of difficulty of the narrative when you say that, you know, each side bears equal responsibility for the situation. That's not, I mean, it's very difficult, I think, to proceed uh, according to that premise when Israel is in control uh, of, of the situation because uh, of, its, of its military prowess and also because of its international backing. I think it's hard then to say that the Palestinians somehow uh, owe a, a, a exclusively non nonviolent uh, response. It's it's sort of like saying it's. I, I guess you don't. I don't feel comfortable saying or telling uh, a, a group of people who are uh, being oppressed how they should resist that uh, that oppression. And I think we get caught up in that sometimes. Uh, well, I wouldn't say equal responsibility, but I do think both sides bear some responsibility. Some responsibility. No and, and I also I also think it's not. The Palestinians who are being blamed or held accountable here is Hamas, which obviously is not the same thing. It's not they the, do yeah. they do bear considerable responsibility here. Yeah. Okay. I mean, from the from the vantage point of the state of Israel, there is a genuine adversary here, and I don't think it's the Palestinian people per se. It, Hamas is a bona fide adversary yeah. and threat. Okay, Howard Lupovich, associate professor of history and director of the Cohn Haddow Center. For Judaic Studies at Wayne State University, thank you very much for joining us. On thank you. Harvard thank you. Uh, also, Ali Harb, Arab American journalist based here in Dearborn. Thank you for coming in. to talk. Thank you for having session. me. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Up next, we're going to talk about how organizations in the area are training the labor force of the future. Stay tuned on Detroit Today. 